707. Welcome Monday evening. John Scholes here along with Stan Fanselberg partner Sam Firu to Markin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm, employment law firm in this country. How about that? I fought the law. Love some clash, but just hearing what Corey had on before might have to get me some scorpions on the show later on. I'm just saying. Look, if you have uh, questions about your employment rights, this show is the one for you. You tune into it Monday night, Wednesday night, weekends as well. You've been terminated, laid off, wrongfully dismissed, harassed at work, questions about vaccines, going back to work. Is it going to be mandated? Do you have to do it? All that stuff. Bring it on. Phone lines are open. We're ready to uh, we're ready to do it. 416-870-6400. That is to call in over the next 48 minutes and ask Stan a question live on air. And outside of that, we'll get to a, a ton of emails. We've got the email uh, box open. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. So we'll uh, make this an email show in between the calls and, as always, when we're not on the air. It's like having Stan with you 24-7. You don't have to feed it either. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's a website. It's free and anonymous. Lots of employment law information and contact there as well. But we'll get into it. Stan, my brother, week that was, what do you got for us? Yeah, absolutely, John. So this week I wanted to start us uh, off by talking about a recent trend that I think is really picking up steam in employment law, and that's the trend of class action lawsuits in the employment law context. So I'm sure lots of our listeners have been following along very closely with the Uber case Uber. that we are leading you know, full steam ahead. Uh, most recently, as you know, John, that, that case had a huge win. It was certified as a class, meaning that there was enough of a common issue amongst this very diverse group of people. In fact, the court noted that potentially there's about 360,000 people in this class with a common issue. And it said that, yes, those people had enough of a common issue to be able to be certified as a class and move forward as a class. But beyond the Uber case, you know, these cases keep popping up. Uh, just most recently, in fact, since 2019, there have been five proposed class action lawsuits involving either insurance companies or banks. Uh, and we're talking about RBC, we're talking about Bank of Montreal and Allstate Insurance. In total, those class action lawsuits amount to a proposed $1.2 billion. And the main issue, it seems, in many of those surround the question of vacation pay and the proper way to calculate it. Because it, it kind of looks, from what I've seen and spoken, I've spoken to some of the counsel here, Joe, and they mentioned to me that you know when they paid these people vacation pay, they did it only on their base and not on things like bonus and or commission. And for a lot of people, especially in the insurance and banking world, commission and bonus is, you know, over 50, 60% of their take home. So an, a huge, huge amount of money available there uh, that's being moved forward. Again, those classes are being uh, proceeding. Some of some have been certified, so some are moving to a motion to be certified and from there moving forward to trial if necessary. And in fact, another case that just came out within the last few weeks uh, involving an insurance company called FSB, uh, in which a number of their insurance sales agents have been certified as a class around issues like whether they're contractors or employees, mm -hmm. whether they're owed overtime, whether they're owed severance and termination, and again, whether they're owed vacation. And, and what should be noted here, John, is it doesn't even matter you know, whether the companies who did this did this by accident, did this because they didn't know the law, it doesn't matter in these contexts because these are statutory requirements. 
you know, just because you don't know you have to pay someone minimum wage doesn't mean you get to avoid paying the minimum wage once they find out that they're owed that. And similarly here, you know, just because you mischaracterize someone as a contractor, just because you miscalculated their overtime, again, whether intentionally or not, doesn't mean you don't owe that employee that money because it's based on a statute. And, and this moves beyond kind of these issues of vacation pay and contractor employee. Uh, just recently, the RCMP settled a massive class action lawsuit in which a class of female RCMP officers were able to allege that the RCMP created a toxic work environment and engaged in rampant culture of sexual harassment. And uh, that was both settled and the RCMP, in fact, apologized as part of that settlement. So something that's really, you know, seems to be picking up steam as more of these class actions get certified, as more issues come to light, uh, and something that has really the potential to do a lot of good, uh, as I see it at least, to, for a lot of people who maybe individually would not be able to move forward with their with their claims because they're either you know too small uh, or in the case of something like the RCMP case too difficult to prove as an individual. Whereas if you have a you know a class of females all saying the same thing that there's a sexualized environment here, uh, it obviously gives it a lot more credibility and a lot more evidence to support that position. So very interesting uh, trend, John, and certainly as you know as we work over here uh, on the Uber case, something we're heavily involved in continuing to monitor. Yeah, that Uber case uh, I find really interesting, and it just you know so happens as you mentioned that uh, you know Simfiru to market Lior Lior's spearheading that one. As I know you guys are all uh, involved yep. in it, but I find that really interesting because like some of the other ones are are part and parcel going to be fought on the grounds of of their merits, and that one I guess you could say single class action. What comes out of this Uber case with you guys? I mean, that's going to affect Lyft. It's going to affect all ride sharing. It might even affect the the, the folks that are, are delivering food services. Same thing, you know. They're basically doing the same type of thing as Uber, but they're dropping off food, not people. I mean, this could this could have a ripple effect through the the gig economy in a massive way, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think really any of these sort of app services type of companies that are trying to distance themselves from the employment relationship by you know creating barriers by creating contracts and they're lengthy and frankly you know we all know nobody reads or, or even could i really understand unless you have kind of a legal background to to understand it uh i think you know those companies are becoming more prevalent there's only going to be more of these apps and you know services like uber coming along i think and this could have huge ramifications in that world in the gig economy, as you say. Again, 416-870-6400. That is to call the station now. Talk to Stan now about employment issues. It may not be uh, something all-encompassing as a class action suit, but it could be something about overtime or how much severance am I owed or, you know, this whole vaccine thing is driving me crazy. Do I have to get it? Is it going to be mandated in my workplace? Uh, you know, anything to do with that? Do I have to go back to work? Can I work in a hybrid situation? All these uh, questions keep popping up. I know when we're off air for you, Stan, through email and phone calls, countless uh, throughout yeah. the week and your work week uh, as well. So feel free to, uh, to do that, to, to do that rather. 416 6400 as mentioned though it is help at employmentlawyer.ca that's the email address we'll get on to our first one trisha says hey stan my company just put me on a performance improvement plan and i completely disagree with this what can i do to fight this as the issues they have identified are completely made up well trish i mean when it comes to performance improvement plans 
the main thing you really have to understand is they're entirely subjective. You know, this is the company saying what they believe you're doing wrong. Does that mean that there's any merit to it? Not necessarily. You know, there's no there's no judge at that point looking at it to say, yeah, yes or no, you did this wrong or not. You're just dealing with, you know, the people across the table. They have their opinion. You may not agree with that opinion, but their management and you kind of have to deal with that. Now, if there may, if there's things in the performance improvement plan that you disagree with, the best thing you can do is go and put it in writing in an email to suggest to them, well, here's what, here's what you've alleged that I'm doing improperly and here's why I disagree with it. But beyond doing that and sort of establishing that these issues are either being, you know, just are arbitrarily made up or, you know, they're not in considering all the evidence or what have you, uh, you, again, because it's, of the subjective nature of the performance improvement plan, you just have to go along with it and try to do your best based on the company's uh, what the company's identified. You know, again, you don't have to agree with it, but you do have to engage in it. If at the end of you know this uh, performance improvement plan, they say, "Hey, you haven't met these objectives, and therefore we're letting you go for cause," well, that's when the evidence becomes important, and the the question of well, the, were these real allegations? Were these real issues? Uh, or were they fabricated? That's when you can actually have an objective assessment done about your performance. But when you're talking about just dealing with a company, again, it's their subjective viewpoint, and you just have to kind of roll with those punches. Yeah, you kind of mentioned, you know, leading to a termination, and it shouldn't when someone's you know first put on that performance improvement plan or told they're going to be put on one, they should kind of have one eye open to the fact that this may be the company working on building up such a case through the. Uh, uh, improvement plan to possibly let them go in the future? Should they also be thinking that maybe in the back of their mind? 100%. I mean, that's always, uh, it's always something that's a possibility. You don't know. I mean, each individual case is obviously different. I wouldn't sure. necessarily think that just because somebody's on a PIP, it means that the company is going in that direction. But you're right that they are all using this to at least have that option available to them and they're papering over their file. And again, that bring me, brings me back to kind of the point that I made to Trish, which is you, if you have objections, you need to write an email and you need to create your evidence and start papering over your file. Because if it does ultimately come down as, as a termination for cause, John, that's the evidence you're going to need to bring to court to have the objective assessment that you want about your performance and whether these issues were real or, you know, imaginary. Yeah, like all things, we always mention, uh, you know, in the employment law realm for employees, have it in writing because the he said, he said thing is not going to, you know, that makes your job more difficult if they come to you. If, oh, did you write any of this down or was this just a verbal? No, it was a verbal. They can deny it. Yeah. Right? So you got to have the stuff written down, some correspondence anyway. It's always a good call. Look, we're going to take a uh, first break here. And uh, give you some time to grab a phone. You got questions, we got answers. 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400. John Scholes here along with Stan Fainselberg, partner, employment lawyer, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. You want to uh, contact the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the country. These would be the guys helping tens of thousands of people clear the waters, clear the smoke, and get what they deserve for sure. Give us a call, and we'll take a short break. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. 
It is 721. How about that? Ask and thou shalt receive a little score. Best producer on evening radio right there, our pal Corey. If you want to call in, he'll he'll even take your calls and be nice. 416-870-6400. Employment issues. Uh, bring them on. That's what we talk about. Have for almost a decade on this show. Stan Fainselberg, partner, Sanfiru, Tamarkin, LLP, is standing by to answer any of those calls. Don't be bashful. Uh, your question is probably uh, scratching the head of... Lots of other people listening to this show as well, so you're doing them a service and yourself by getting the answers you need. Sometimes it can lead to uh, a lot of relief, both financially and psychologically, to yourself, so feel free to call. In the meantime, the emails continue, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Our pal Ryan's up next. says, guys, I was told in December that the company made bonus and we would be paid our usual bonus in February. However, I was just let go and they were refusing to pay me the bonus do they have to give it to me if I work the entire year for the company? See, you know, we see this all too often, John. It's it's a way that companies seem to use to avoid, uh, you know, obviously save a few costs here and there. Uh, at the end of the year, they are assessing who made uh, whose performance was where, and they make a decision to let you go and say, hey, I guess we don't have to pay you this bonus because you didn't, you know, you didn't work out, and it's not due until a couple of months from now. Well, the reality is that you can't just get away with that. You know, if you've worked the year, you're very, very, very likely entitled to a bonus, especially if you've never seen any bonus plan or have never, uh, have never, or your company has no bonus plan. Then almost certainly you're entitled to that bonus for working the entire year. And beyond that, John, I mean, Ryan, depending on his notice period, might even be entitled to his bonus for the year that in which he both got let go and the following year. You know, it, the bonus is a, is a normal part of a person's compensation, or it certainly can be, uh, especially if it's a large part of their compensation. And the courts will imply that that forms, you know, the calculation that we use to determine your notice period or the money you're entitled to during your notice period. And so, again, you know, he'd be entitled, very likely be entitled to the bonus that he just worked for and potentially bonuses for the years in which his notice period would uh, fall in. Do you ever get the case where you get a uh, an employee trying to be an employer trying to be cute and saying, you know, we get the big bonus coming in June. Why don't we let uh, Sally go in? Uh, oh, I don't know, April, May. That way, we're going to get our way out of the bonus. You see it honestly more often than you would think, especially with uh, higher level executives because right. they tend to be a bit more sophisticated. Uh, they tend to actually have bonus plans that apply to them once they've actually seen and kind of red. So you, you see that more in those situations because the bonus is just frankly so much bigger. Um, there was a very big case, in fact, that went to the Supreme Court recently. I think we've discussed that on the show as well, in which uh, an individual, it was found that the contract, the, the bonus language, didn't actually bar that person from getting their bonus in the future at, based on a certain trigger point. And they ended up getting over a million dollars because the sale, because essentially the business was sold that triggered the bonus, and the business was sold during a notice period. Wow. Again, 416-870-6400 is the number to call through. We are uh, live and taking your calls. In the meantime, we get back to uh, to more emails. I think we got Jasmine is up next. Is Jasmine, Stan, uh, I have a, a question for you. I, uh, I have worked as a server slash bartender in the establishment for over 16 years. The bar was closed March 16th due to COVID, and it still hasn't reopened. I've been trying to contact the owner-manager of the establishment, but he doesn't answer or call back. What should I do? I guess he's owed some money. Well, you know, 
one would hope, uh, and in most normal circumstances, the layoff itself, as we, as we know by now, is a very clear constructive dismissal. Unfortunately, uh, our government in Ontario decided to run, write certain regulations, the infectious disease leave regulations, that have just muddied the waters incredibly. Um, they're very poorly drafted, in my opinion, and, and the reality is that right now we don't know whether they apply uh, to effectively bar somebody from, from proceeding on a constructive dismissal case. There's been a few cases that have now come out in, you know, Jasmine's favor, essentially saying that, you know, you know, the layoff was still a constructive dismissal and you owe them what you owe them. But there's also, what, unfortunately, been one case that's come out the opposite direction. It's, you know, all of this is making its way through the courts and going to the Court of Appeal. And we should get a decision on that point sometime early next year, we're hoping. But right now, until these infectious disease leave uh, regulations expire, hopefully again, you know, around September 25th, Jasmine's in a bit of a gray zone. Now, her case might be a little bit more clear, I would say, John, than others, because, you know, for manager and owners just not picking up their phone, um, they're not communicating with their employees, it becomes harder to say that that person's not terminated. I mean, even if you still want to bring them back, you, you have an obligation to communicate with your employees to to work with them in terms of bringing them back. And here, if the person's seeking information and you're just kind of shutting them out, what else are they supposed to think except for the fact that, you know, they you forgot about them and they're terminated. And the court can imply the exact same thing here because whether, you know, again, the evidence seems to point to that direction and it's a he said, she said situation. The obvious question is going to be, well, employer, why didn't you just pick up your phone and answer Jasmine's call? And if you don't have a good re answer to that question, you know, there's this case has a much better shot, certainly, of establishing it just a straight termination, right? We're not even talking about constructive dismissal. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email we use on the show and the phone calls here and now, 416-870-6400. And in that regard, Michael, thanks for standing by for a moment. How are you tonight? Hey, guys, very good. How are you? Beauty, what's uh, what's on your mind, brother? Uh, just a quick question. I, uh, I'm i an airline pilot, and um, I've you know been hearing what's going on with the news with the mandatory faxes for uh, uh, flight crews, flight attendants, and um, mm -hmm. I've got a lot of questions, but the, the major one is, is we have to do, we have to qualify for medicals uh, in order to validate our license. We have to pass a yearly medical. If I was okay. to ever suffer a, uh, if I was to ever suffer one of the rare side effects of the vaccine and was not able to qualify for my medical, what recourse action would I have? Because technically I lose my job. Well, very likely you, you probably have disability benefits. So, so in this, in this scenario, if it tragically came to that, you would very likely qualify for long-term disability and could there, you know, stay on that for as long as you, you continue to be unable to work. Um, you're right that in terms of taking legal recourse against the companies, uh, I'm, Pretty sure there are liability shields being put in place for these instances in which, you know, so the vaccine manufacturers aren't necessarily liable for any uh, side effects. And as well as, you know, these companies who are being mandated to administer or these vaccines can avoid the liability. But in terms of what, you know, you can do personally, I think you would probably be subject to a disability plan that will allow you to continue to get some income. 
Okay. Could I ask one more question? Do you guys have time? Oh, yeah, yeah for course. sure. Bring it on. Um, what about uh, religious exemptions? I know that there's people that um, are able to get a religious exemption, a note from their doctor or whatever. Does that exempt them from a mandatory vax order? Well, it would exempt them from taking the vaccine, whether it exempts them or allows them to come back to the workplace. That's a really complicated issue that just would have to be viewed on a very factual basis to determine whether, you know, bringing that person back in the workplace can be done safely in your context, right? Like as an airline pilot, I'm sure there are issues that are beyond both the company and our, even our government when it comes to that. You know, there are other countries that you probably cannot land in if you're not vaccinated. And so there, those are issues that can't just be dealt with uh, on a broad basis. And, and uh, frankly, I don't even know if a company would be able to bring you back with those issues. Right. Okay, very good, guys. I really appreciate the time and uh, have a great night. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate your time Thanks, as well and uh, and be well. By the way, if you want to reach out uh, for Michael or you, if you're listening as well, any time to Stan and the rest of the team, one 855 Eight two one fifty nine hundred is how you do that. Jack, thanks for uh, taking some time to call in tonight. How are you? Hey guys, how's it going today? Beauty, what's uh, what's going on with you? I want to know: uh, Can an employee uh, initiate a bio clause? Uh, say he's tired of working and he's ready for retirement, that uh, and uh, he just doesn't feel like working anymore. Can he initiate that? Well, what you're talking about is retirement and resigning. I mean, uh, terminate. Severance pay is only for employees who have either been terminated or constructively dismissed. So if you're just talking about the fact that you don't want to work there anymore and you'd rather retire, you, of course, can do that, but you can't get paid to do that. Now, if there are issues like you're being, you feel like you're being forced out, that could potentially be a constructive dismissal, which you know would allow you to essentially say, well, because of this toxic workplace, or you guys trying to force me out, or whatever changes you're making to my uh, employment, I- I'm not going to agree to that, and I'm going to go and fight for my severance. But again, if you're just talking about retiring, well, you know, again, you don't get a severance for retiring. Yeah, okay. All right, I was just wondering. Thanks anyway. No worries. Thanks, no Jack. Problem. Appreciate your time, and uh, good luck. Carrying on, uh, we'll get to more 416-870-6400. you still got lots of time. Back to our email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. we got uh, Thomas. Thomas says, guys, I had an argument with my boss because he refuses to pay us during our lunch break. Is he allowed to do that? Technically, Thomas, under the Employment Standards Act, lunch breaks are tech, you know, free uh, or unpaid. But a half-hour lunch break is unpaid. So you're entitled to one half hour unpaid lunch. And then for every five hours you work, you're entitled to an additional 15 minutes of uh, paid break time. But if he's not paying you for the half hour that you're on lunch, not legally required to do that. All right, we'll get to uh, to Jane. Hope that answers your question, Thomas. By the way, reaching out any time to Stan, you could do so. And get more uh, answers as well at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, and 1-855-821-5900, the firm number. Get a hold of Stan and his crew. Jane is up next, says, hey, guys, my manager has made numerous inappropriate sexual comments to me. I've told him to stop and talk to HR about it, but he's the owner's brother, and they won't do anything. What can I do at this point? Yeah, 
John, it's, you know, these issues, especially in small workplaces, are so much more complex. When, you know, you're talking about a family business and Jane really puts a person like Jane in such a difficult position because obviously she can't trust HR. You know, right. if she's gone to HR, they're not going to protect her seemingly, uh, especially if it's the owner's brother. And at this point, you know, she seems to have done the necessary couple first couple of steps to try to get them to stop. Once HR is no not you know meeting its obligations, not playing its role, at that point you can say that that's a pretty clear constructive dismissal based on a toxic work environment. Uh, you know, it's one thing if an individual within a large company is doing it, and HR and the company are not aware of it. You know, I, I generally tell it clients that I think you should at least advise HR and see if they will intervene and do their due diligence. But once the company as a general entity is aware of the sexual harassment and they're still not doing anything about it, at that point, you know, you've done everything you've needed to do as an employee to get them to engage. And if they won't, you're you're only left with essentially the option of walking away and claiming constructive dismissal and, you know, sexual harassment, discrimination, uh, punitive damages. I mean, these situations, you know, when it comes to a toxic environment like that, you're not just talking about severance. You're also talking about the treatment that you've been subjected to, the discrimination you've been subjected to potentially. Uh, it, it's a much bigger case, but certainly it all starts with leaving that environment. And uh, you want to reach out uh, beyond that, Jane, and know how that uh, how that gets going, how you ma- manipulate that. Anyway, you want to go to one eight five five eight two one. 5,900, which is, which is good to be able to reach out to, to you, Stan, and your team, because like you said, if it's a family-run business or if, if the boss, the big boss, is the one doing harassing, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. you got nowhere to turn. You're not sure what to do, right? Yeah, and, and some people might think, well, I can go to the ministry. And uh, if they, you know, they've got the Occupational Health and Safety Act and a lot of very impressive at- statutes out there now about you know, cre- making sure that you have a t- harassment-free workplace. The reality is the ministry is very, very understaffed and can't possibly police all everything that's going on there. And they do it very minimally. I mean, you can make your allegations and they'll come in there and investigate and they might issue a couple of, you know, violations, maybe some some sort of uh, classes for people to take about uh, about dealing about proper workplaces. But they're not going to punish the employer in the way that you're seeking, and they're certainly not going to be able to do much, that very quickly. Uh, one other potential avenue is you know, the Human Rights Tribunal, where sexual harassment is a form of discrimination, but again, that's going to take years. So yeah. a lot of people just are not left with a lot of realistic, practical avenues. And unfortunately, as unfair as this may sound, because it may make your situation worse in the immediate future, if you kind of have to leave that environment, leave your job, you know, go without income for for potentially you know, some period of time, and to to access the courts and get the you know, the remedy that you deserve ultimately. Again, 416-870-6400. You still have some time to call us here live on air and ask your questions for yourself or a colleague, maybe a bashful family member. Do it, 416-870-6400. Trevor, uh, this one crops up. It's it's like the million-dollar question of employment law during this radio show. And Trevor says, <laughs> guys, what is the most severance that I can get if I am terminated? But, yeah, well, that's, what, that's the bread and butter. I mean, that's what we're, we're here for at the end of the day. Uh, because it, when we when Lior and Savannah started this firm, I mean, to me, 
too many people didn't know the answer to this question. I'm sure, a lot of our listeners know it now, but for those who don't, I mean, severance ultimately depends on your age, your position, your length of employment, and your ability to find new employment in the future. And you know, it can range anywhere from a month or two, anywhere up to 24 months or plus in exceptional circumstances. So depending, you know, for Trevor specifically, it's kind of impossible to tell based on the email. We don't have those details. But for any general individual, again, anywhere from two to 24 months uh, is what you may be owed. Kathy, Jess, we got another call lined up here. I want to bounce over to an email quickly before we get them on air. Uh, Kathy Joe, a classic one here, says, my employer is trying to make me sign a contract. Forget this. The first time in 20 years. They're saying that if I don't, they will fire me, and I'm really scared. I don't know what to do. Yeah, 20 years. It's yeah. crazy uh, what employers think they can get away with these days. And, I mean, they, it could be a genuine, well, obviously based on the fact that they're threatening or probably not so genuine attempt to, to introduce a contract. Uh, but the reality is that they can't do anything to you, Kathy. You know, I mean, certainly yeah, they can let you go but they'll owe you 20 years worth of severance yeah. and that'll certainly tie you over hopefully until your next position. And there would be on top of which, you know, there would be some potential damage exposure and liability based on the fact that they're threatening her and based on the fact that they're, you know, trying to manipulate her. Uh, again, as an employer, you just can't act that way. There's such a power imbalance here that the court will absolutely bring a hammer down on employer, employers who act with that kind of bad faith and try to bully their employees into signing contracts they have no obligation to sign. Get a call here from uh, Michael. Hey, Michael, thanks for hanging on for a moment. Good evening. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. How is everybody tonight? We're uh, we're okay. Still fogging up a mirror, so it's good. What's on Uh, your mind? I currently work uh, for a career company not delivering food. It's been 10 years now, and uh, everything's great. I'm very happy with the job. The reason I'm calling is... uh, my compensation is a little uh, different. The minute I sign on, uh, I get a minimum retainer, and the rest is made up on commissions, which are very important to me. And three months ago, they gave away my most lucrative contracts to a colleague. It had nothing to do with COVID. It was a ma- managerial decision. As a result, my overall take-home pay every week has dropped 40%. When I complained, the... Uh, transport manager said that she would look after me and uh, she would make it up to me. I've been waiting three months and uh, I'm still uh, below the poverty line. What's my recourse? Okay. Well, let me just ask you a couple of questions first. So you mentioned that you're a courier and you're working on with a contract. Now, are you an employee or are you a contractor? Um, they think that I'm an independent contractor, but right. as you well, no, I have, I have to rent a pager because they refuse to use a normal app. So I have to pay for mm-hmm. that $1,000 a year out of my pocket. And I have to, I have to stand by. I'm on call till 5 p.m. So I am, dependent <laughs> on, I am dependent on them to feed me yeah. work. And this is why I get that, that measly retainer every, every morning as an incentive. And the rest is made up on commission. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I that's see. the situation. So it would be very easy to prove that I'm a dependent contractor or an employee, which is even better. Yeah, and you don't work anywhere else, you're saying, right? You're I, saying I you only not. work for this place. Mm-hmm. I do not. I'm not able to because I'm already employed from, from 8 to 5. Yeah, well, 
I mean, the line, first of all, that you were fed by your uh, your dispatcher about, well, I'll take care of you. I, I'm sorry to say I hear that line all the time. Um, yep. and, and we talk about this on the radio show. Unless it's in writing, pretend it doesn't exist. You know, if right. she's going to take care of you, put it in writing. Put yep. Take care of me in writing. Uh, beyond that, if you're saying that they've, you, you have three months of documented history where that taking away that client has led to a 40% drop in your income, then that's a very clear constructive dismissal. I mean, they okay. very clearly changed the terms of your employment by taking away this massive client and leading to such a massive drop in your income. Certainly. So that, that leaves you in the, uh, you know, kind of unfair, but ultimately a position to make the following decision. Do you okay. stay and accept those terms? Or do you leave and claim constructive dismissal? Well, it's been three months. How much? So, what is there uh, a limitation uh, as, as to this, or eight weeks? In terms of claiming weeks? constructive dismissal, there's no. no and, and you know, there is a thing, and then uh, uh, leaving at a certain time, it could be too late. Right. That's what I mean in terms of claiming that. Well, is you know, there isn't any hard and fast set time period, like eight or weeks or twelve weeks. You know, as long as you can show within those three months that, first of all, you were testing it out to see what would happen with your income, and yeah. that only after a couple of months you realized it would lead to this huge drop. And number two, as long as you could also show that you were protesting the change, that you were saying, hey, you know, I'm losing all this income, what's going on? And you're right. in communications with them where they're making you these promises of like, okay, don't worry, we'll take care of you. Yeah. Uh, then that will lead a court to say that, okay, you, you – you're allowed to actually wait a longer period of time to test out this new condition. Now you're running into a, you know, maybe the far reaches of what I would say is is reasonable here. If it's been three months at this point, you certainly I think have enough information to make a decision. Yeah. Uh, and and waiting any longer would potentially jeopardize your claim. But I still think you're well within the reasonable period to, to well, make that claim. To, to, be clear, to be clear, there was no incident with either uh, employees management or the clients that I'm servicing. And mm -hmm. I've been there 10 years. So for me to uh, claim constructive dismissal, I really like the job. I really like the people I work with. So it's a very difficult situation, but uh, I need to be compensated accordingly. And all I want is those contracts back. And I know, and that's why I say this is one of the hardest decisions somebody can make in employment law. I mean, you right. have to walk away and essentially walk into a situation where you have no income and may not right. know when your next paycheck is coming. But right. the reality is what options are you being left with? If you can't live on the 60% that you're getting paid now, you exactly. know, then, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you, if you want, you can kind of put an ultimatum to the company and tell them just flat out, like, can't well, live off this income. You promised me, you know, a new client or something to replace this. I'm gonna have to leave unless you give me, you know, some more accounts. Right. So um, usually the summer months are, 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 are slower for us, and mm -hmm. everyone's aware of that. So they topped it up a couple of times. I, I took a day off. They paid me my, my minimum retainer for that day, here and there, and. Uh, Usually it picks up in September. So that's when I was going to contact him. Two weeks after Labor Day, I was going to fire off a letter. 
Well, you know, I would say at a minimum, just make sure that you're writing them some emails or writing them some text messages or however you communicate. Just making it clear that, like, you know, this is not working out. This is not, you've lost significant income. You can't keep working like this and you need a solution and they need to come through on, you know, taking care of you, as they say. Michael, appreciate that. And that's going to do it for our time this evening. Thank you for the phone call, reaching out to Stan. If you got further questions or you as well, if you've enjoyed the show this evening, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca, email address. And the website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's like having Stan with you at all times. A lot of employment law knowledge right there. And the uh, Severance Pay Calculator, also part of that, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You want to reach out to the most trusted and uh, positively Googled employment law firm, do so now, and we'll pick it up again Wednesday night and on the weekends, of course. Stick around. On Point continues and returns. Alex Pearson up next, Global News Radio.